Welcome back to my vlog. And of course, as always, I speak to my three passions in life, and that is woman, Africa, and the arts. And since we're in September, and every year I like to highlight or, or donate or put, um, bring attention to, to something that's very, very close to my heart. And this year I have chosen an organization called OUT, which is an organization that services the gay, lesbian, bisexual and transgendered community within South Africa. And um, joining me today, I have Roche Kester, who is the Hates Crimes Manager, just to find out a little bit more about what Outdo and the benefits of having such an organization and then, of course, future plans. Roche, thank you so much for taking time. And first of all, how are you coping and handling the craziness of, of, of COVID-19? Oh, hi, Rosie. Um, I'm so happy that you chose out firstly. Thank you so much. Um, COVID, oh, I think it's an emotional roller coaster for everybody. And, you know, a lot of the days are good. And even if you, when you're indoors, you know, you can kind of forget about it. But then as soon as you leave the house, you're like, oh, gosh, I forgot the mask. Then we go back for the mask. And also the anxieties of 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 what distancing means to people, I think has been really tough for me. Um, I haven't been able to see my family there in Cape Town, um, but luckily interprovincial travel is open now, but you know, um, it is a difficult thing for people overall, but you know, we, we soldier on and we try and do our best. Absolutely, but also, you know, um, even before COVID, there was also just another pandemic and, and often, and it's no fault of many people, but often we overlook or rather underlook the, the other levels of violence that, that um, the LGBTQI community to face, um, especially transgendered people, especially with accessing um, medical assistance or, or medical attention, um, shelter if needed, if they're coming from, from a GBV situation. Let's talk about the, the dynamics before we get into what I do, but the dynamics of, of how such a pandemic impacts the community and also what 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 the issues and the problems were there before yeah so i think um definitely if anything the pandemic has kind of honed in on the difficulties that lgbti people face you know for a lot of people it's always been access to services in general um, this includes specifically medical care and i think as a key population we know that um, you know, there's been numerous studies of how HIV then affects LGBTI people and also in relation to how they access that medication. But more so, as you mentioned, for transgendered individuals, um, the process to even get on HRT treatment is something that needs to be done in an intimate fashion. And so if you have someone that's in a rural location um, that is out of bounds of urban areas that offer these services, it becomes highly problematic. You know, and a few other things that have that have kind of also arisen. Um, shelters is one of the biggest things that affect LGBTI people. There's currently only one in South Africa. And, you know, homelessness in this time, having to be confined with family that is unaccepting, or if you are in a household, um, you know, another one of the things that come up is mental health issues, um, especially if you're in a home that is unaccepting. So these kind of things have kind of been, you know, highlighted um, as issues in relation to the LGBTI people community as a whole. 
And, and the work that, that outdo, um, how, how have you alleviated over the years, because you've been around for, for many, many years, um, in terms of the services that you offer and, and how effective has it been the work that, that you do offer? Yeah, so the model of artists is kind of threefold. We have a clinic on our premises um, based in Hatfield where people can come in to get tested. Um, they can be initiated on ART treatment, antiretroviral treatment, or on PIP. So these services have been running throughout lockdown. And we also have a peer team that then goes out into the community and offers these services as well. Um, so we're not just urban based, but we also try to go into townships, Shoshankuri, Hamanskral, and we offer these same services. One of the things that we have actually put in place during COVID is, is that if clients are able to come to the clinic, we help courier medication. And this is, this is beneficial um, in relation to HIV particularly um, and, ad, you know, adherence to medication because we know that that's also an important part of um, prevention and spread. Um, then the other part of what we do is we have a legal clinic as well. So LGBTI people that are face that face discrimination or um, violences, whether it be physical or non-lethal violences, they can come to us. We provide legal services, um, kind of directing as to what the best course is to ensure that there's a measure of justice. Um, in relation to whatever they're facing. And the scope is very wide. So we deal with things like physical assault, um, rape, um, workplace discrimination, damage to property, even hate speech. Um, so we, we have that clinic. And then the other aspect of what we do is we also try to advocate on a greater level in terms of policy and legislation. And so we sit on various boards, various task teams to ensure that there is a mechanism of ensuring that policy speaks to the LGBTI community and um, how we support that. Um, so those are kind of the three components that we have. We also have, I must mention, safe spaces for LBQT women specifically. Um, you know, mental health issues have been a huge problem for the LGBTI community for various reasons um, in general, you know, coming out self-acceptance, internal homophobia, body dys dysmorphia. And so these safe spaces also act as a measure of psychosocial support and um, also the counseling services that out also has. So that's kind of the model of what we have. And we've been trying really hard um, as a sector, I think, we've already had these, these aspects in place in referral systems. So if we aren't able to do anything, we can refer you. And I think during COVID as a sector, these things have been strengthened, um, but also we are just trying to be um, very, you know, committed to the people that we serve and also making sure that they are aware of these services that can be accessed. I love the, the, the fact that, that, that you, you do have people uh, that will sit on, on various task teams looking at a policy level because, you know, I often say that we, we have a great country that's, that's, you know, democratic on paper, but when it trickles down to everybody, not everybody's represented. In your opinion, what really needs to be done on a policy level in order for people to understand um, the dynamics and understand the, the, the challenges that we face, but also the changes that need, to be, that need to be made as a country as a whole. 
So I think in terms of the challenges, one thing that is important is to look at the lived realities of LGBTI people. Um, I think the measure and amount of discrimination that they face is widely understated. And for a number of reasons, you know, sometimes people don't know where to go and report the means of discrimination, maybe they're not educated about their rights. And um, as you've mentioned, yes, our constitution is very progressive, but sometimes in the implementation of those policies and legislation, that is where I think we fall short as a country. You know, how often do we have monitoring and evaluating systems to say, is this actually serving our community? What is the reality of the people that are accessing these services? Um, how is it in contradiction to, for instance, um, you know, the various sections of our constitution that protect human rights? And I think those processes, you know, even though we have the policy, we need to ensure that we look at how it is executed, implemented. Um, that there is a model of sustainability and also accountability by our structures that offer these services. One of the other dynamics, and, and I spoke to, to the person who had started the Queer Wellness Centre in Johannesburg, um, and they offer a wonderful service of, of child psychology because that is also something that's, that's, that you know families don't take into consideration of if you do have a transgender child or if you or you uh, intersex child you know how how are we how do we unlearn the wrongs of the past um do you have any programs or policies that speak to 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 children or to school going age and people well i think um the department of basic education has actually been instituting what they call comprehensive sexual education and this has kind of been met with a lot of resistance from society at large and then also parents um, because they parents are kind of saying why are you trying to teach my child about this i should be the one educating them on sexual education you know um, these conversations are privy to my household and of course within the south african context we have to be wary that we've got a huge amount of people that are religious and you know how they view homosexuality and then also queerness in general um, comes with a lot of resistance and then also from a traditional sense in south africa you know these patriarchal systems that are that are sometimes very subtle but have huge implications in in how we view gender and expression and sexuality also cause a a, a pushback and so the, the Department of Education has said, listen, at these various grades, we want to institute this amount of information. And so we, as civil society and then also as government, we're trying to create an awareness that we need buy-in from parents. We need buy-in from, from leaders in our community to say children deserve this education. And I always say this, Josie, um, Sometimes I'm so overtly empathetic to homo heterosexual people and cisgendered people because they come from a point of ignorance. Where in their lifespan do they actually have access to this information? Unless you are a queer individual and you go and do your homework for yourself or you or you empower yourself yourself. But like if you're a heterosexual person and we want you to be an ally, where are we giving you the information for that? So I think definitely the education system 
and the, the, the amount of um, progress that they're trying to create in that matter is very important, you know, but it also comes to implementation. So if you're going to be teaching children, are you going to have non-binary bathrooms in schools, for instance? Are you going to have forms that are gender neutral? and that allow for a your gender non-conforming and a non-binary person to exist in there. In terms of sports, um, what are the demarcations of which gender is allowed to do what sports? In terms of uniform, you know, why are uniforms still gendered? So I think this comes back to, yes, we can push for policy and education, but implementation, administrative implementation, is just as important in that regard. And I think one of the difficulties also with schools is, is that, you know, you need also buy-in from governing bodies so to, to, to expel this information within their schools. And there's also a resistance amongst that. So it's always like this re-education, not just, um, you know, for parents, but for school boards and also delving into how it is beneficial, not just for the children in the school, but the wider population and what kind of what kind of adults are we hearing? You know, um, how aware are we in terms of not just tolerance, but you know that this is actually a, a, a measure and extension of human diversity in terms of sexual orientation and gender identity. And 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 I think that's also where media. Um, play a big role or rather don't play or not playing the role that they're supposed to be you know we often have the conversation of the stereotypes of of looking of when you look at dramas and it's changing but but in the past of when you watch dramas of the stereotypes of what a homosexual man looks like as opposed to as, as opposed to what a black lesbian looks like and the narrative that is around that and and the moving away of sexualizing around that you know so it's those conversations which are also had what is your what is your take of on where media, how media should, 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 should be pushing this narrative? Well, I think at least just say that someone like Sumizi is a great win for South Africa, you know. I think Sumizi in, in his diversity and um, being on various platforms, he's now got a cooking show, you know, he's on idols. And the queerness is, you know, apparent in the physicality, but also in a lifestyle. And it also moves away from that narrative of just focusing on sex, right? But I think for me, in terms of media representation, what I would want to have see is our politicians specifically, um, and I'm speaking about the governing party, the ANC coming out and saying, listen, we stand behind the LGBTI community. Of course, they do this in various um, portfolio committees, like I know the Department of Women, Youth and Disabilities have had a lot of talks inclusive of the LGBTI um, agenda. But then when has the president forever said, for instance, said like on Idaho, International Day Against Homophobia and Biophobia, we acknowledge the queer community. We see this happening. When has there been importance on the deaths that have happened in the LGBTI community and saying outright from our politicians' point of view that this needs to happen? And people think that that's a minute thing, this call to action from people in power, but it's not. If our president says this is the law of our land and they complete, they continuously emphasize this, it changes the scope and the conversation in our households because it means that we are supported by our government, we are supported by 
by um, these structures, right? And so I think for me, that is what I think vis media visibility lacks. Civil society has come to the party in continuously bringing attention to issues surrounding the LGBTI, but we need our leaders also to, to stand up and to be allies in that regard. And in terms of, I mean, an organization like this doesn't run on air. You know, you, 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 <laughs> we know this. Um, you, you, it's based on a lot of funding, international, local funding. How do you keep your doors open? And if you had a wish list, what would it be in order to get funding coming through? How can, how can the outside community help out? I think this is a continuous conversation that has been had by civil society through the ages, you know. Um, the model is not as sustainable as we would want it to be. So there's always this knowing that for a certain period you have funding and then this funding period may come to an end. I think currently in the LGBTI sector, there's a huge emphasis on medicalization. And so this is also in relation to a very minute key population aspect of the LGBTI with the, with the focus on MSM particularly um, in relation to HIV testing and then initiation on then ARVs and, and PrEP. But what has been lacking from grants coming out is the advocacy component of it. And of course, we can provide these services of medication, but what happens in terms of media visibility? What happens in terms of policy change? What happens in terms of you know, victim support services that need to be rendered to the community, psychosocial services, and these form part of the advocacy conversation. And so it's always a difficult thing because it feels like we're grabbing on straws um, to ensure that these necessary services are then mandated to the people that need to access them. And so from outs perspective, you know, it's a problem with sustainability in the advocacy sense, but we've also put in a few measures to, we've erected a fundraising committee now. <laughs> and so um, people may know the My School card from Woolworths. So if you go to Woolworths, you can actually add out as a beneficiary to, to, to yes. To, to get um, some of the funds that is then done from your Woolworths shopping. Another mechanism that we have is we've got a platform, um, Love Thy Neighbor. So Love Thy Neighbor also hosts various civil society organizations and out is listed as a beneficiary on that platform so people can donate through there. And of course, you can just contact our offices as well if you would like to donate. You know, we, we all ensure that the money coming in definitely goes to the people and helps to serve the people that we, we, we look after as an organization. Brilliant. I wasn't, I wasn't even aware that you were on Love Thy Neighbor, and I definitely will push that. Roche, thank you so much for your time and for the work that you're doing. And, you know, this conversation is just the start. I mean, we offline, we were chatting about other projects that we want to do. And when we start navigating around our new normal and, and social distancing and, and, and moving around, but, um, you know, moving forward for, for those of you who are, are watching this is that, you know, they're on, on, on Facebook, they're on Twitter, they're on social media um, platforms, they have a website as well. Um, and then we also need to, to, to 
you know, continue the conversation. And it's not just at, at, a, at a policy level, it's not just at a school level, and it's not just at a media level, but what conversations are we having around our dinner table with our children? What conversations are we having with, with our friends? Um, are you calling people out if they're making homophobic comments or you're just brushing it under the table? Um, do you know your friends who are still too, too scared to come out? Are you there for them? Should they? Do you understand the impacts of what the community go through? And so I commend you for the work that you do, Roche. Thank you so much for your time. And as I said, the conversation is just beginning in terms of the work that we're going to do. Thanks so much. Yeah, thank you so much, Josie, and thank you for your support and also, you know, um, showing up in the way that you can for the community. I think uh, a lot of the time people always think, what can they do? And I think, you know, allyship is important. And what you said about, you know, um, kind of voicing um, your, your, your standpoint against prejudices and also helping to educate um, as allies is very important. I just wanted to give the people out there some information. So if they do want to contact out, they can do so via our website, which is www.out.org.za. But yeah, go to the website. Even if you need to report eight crimes, we've got a mechanism um, in which you can do that. If you are seeking psychosocial support, any kind of services that may be um, in relation to, to the needs of the LGBTI community, we encourage them to come to us.